0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. I
1: think some of you probably have heard that we're starting a new theme um, after spending much of the last 10 to 12 weeks looking at samadhi and some of the nuts and bolts of practice. For the next six months or so, we'll be moving through Jack Hornfield's new book, The Wise Heart. You don't need to be reading the book, but some people I know like to have additional resources. So you can go ahead and get yourself a copy if you'd like. and read along. I'll be, to some degree at least, basing my talks on the chapters, so one chapter a week, something like that. And the first chapter in that that wonderful book is called Nobility, Our Original Goodness. And right at the end of that chapter, Jack Hornfield, uh if you don't know, he's one of the better known uh, teachers in this particular lineage. Buddhist practice coming out of Theravada Buddhism sometimes in the West known as the Vipassana or insight meditation Practice that we do here at common ground He talks about how uh, you know in the course of learning Vipassana meditation or studying the teachings of the Buddha we learn all kinds of ways to live a life with integrity ethical conduct and all different kinds of skillful means, working with afflictive states of mind, and learning how to reflect on particular themes like impermanence, and love, and joy. So a lot of times when we're thinking about or doing Buddhist meditation practice or Buddhist practice, it has this flavor of we're developing skill. You know, I'm not so skilled, and I'm becoming more skilled. But another, maybe even more important element of this path, more important than this idea that we're here developing skill, is some kind of intuitive recognition of what we could say or call like an essential goodness or essential freedom. And it seems like it's paradoxical, but. If you are interested in gaining a lot of skill, becoming a better person, the best approach is to do that, you know, to develop skill, not from a neurotic place of thinking, I don't have skill. I need skill. The best place to develop skill in the world is from a place of recognizing our inherent an inherent freedom, or an inherent love, or beauty. Sometimes we call this the unconditioned, meaning this essential goodness or beauty isn't because of who we are or what we've done in the world. It's there. It's like when I look out at our bird feeder in the backyard, and I see the chickadees or those more common birds. It's interesting how we can have favorites, you know. But you look at a bird, or you watch the squirrels, and you know at times, at least, our heart is actually moved just seeing the chickadee getting its seeds and taking it to the tree and eating it. It can be really a beautiful thing just to watch those birds do their thing. But it isn't that particular chickadee that's beautiful, right? I mean, we know that if we think about it, even for a few seconds. It's not about its feathers. It's not about its beak. It's not about its different, you know, behavior patterns. What makes it beautiful? I mean it's sort of a, a mystery, isn't it? Because it's not like we would debate whether or not it's beautiful, because I think we could all agree, I mean, maybe for you chickadee's not the, the ticket. You know, maybe for you it's the wind blowing through leaves, you know, in the sound or sunsets or babies. <laughs> But we all bump up against, if we let it happen, you know we all bump against, up against beautiful moments where our heart is moved. And we generally, in a superficial way, say, oh, it's because it's a beautiful bird or it's a beautiful baby. But when we reflect more honestly, it isn't about the baby. You know, what is it about the baby that moves our heart? Is it the gurgling of the saliva in the mouth or the... <laughs> when you really look, when you break it down, deconstruct the moment, there's really... It isn't about the the facts on the ground, so to speak. But I think what it is, you know, and it's it's not so easy to talk about, but, you know, our mind is conditioned so that certain experiences opens a door to something that's beautiful or timeless or pure. But it isn't about the door that allowed us to recognize that beauty or that wholeness or that goodness. So it isn't about the baby. The baby's a door that allows the heart or mind to recognize something that's true always, but as an ordinary human being we're dependent on certain doors to notice that maybe it's a hug from a friend or seeing snowfall or seeing spring or hearing a certain song or relaxing after a hard day but as somebody interested in being awake interesting in understanding things deeply Then we become Interested in goodness, and this is especially important because so much of the culture of course is reinforcing a kind of negativity that things are bad or the world's messed up or I have a lot of negative conditioning that needs to be fixed I'm an you know, I'm an unenlightened human being that wants to be enlightened So we have a lot of baggage and so much so that it's in a in a tragic way and surprising way maybe uh, we're frightened by goodness and beauty and wholeness especially this unconditioned variety because it challenges our most deeply Conditioned habits, you know, that life is tough. You know, it's a mean world. You have to be tough to survive. You can't relax. You know, life will take over or bad things will happen. Some of you have heard me mention this um, particular interview with Albert Einstein. But I just loved his answer to a question, a question that you'd expect somebody, a journalist, to ask, a famous physicist. But evidently, somebody asked him near the end of his life about the more important, unanswered questions about the universe. And his response, I thought, was brilliant. He said something like, well, there's really only one remaining question, or one important question about the universe, and that is, is it a friendly place and this really has a lot to do with you know each of us how we're living do we live with this idea that the universe is a friendly place or do we live with the assumption that the universe is an unfriendly place and and that's not like we should have an answer to you know one answer is better than the other but i think what's interesting is to live that question like to <laughs> notice Is it a friendly or an unfriendly place and when it's unfriendly do we have anything to do with it being an unfriendly place like how the mind is how the mind's relating does that have something to do with that it's an unfriendly place and when the universe appears to be a friendly place a beautiful place does it have anything to do with how we're relating how we're understanding the moment how we're being in the moment because that would be really relevant feedback to get. Because, of course, a lot of the time we have uh, a real arrogance. Probably both ways. You know how it is when you're around people who think the universe is a beautiful place? It's like they're really hard to be around those people <laughs> <laughs> when we don't agree. You know, And it's the same way. When we're feeling in a pretty good place, we're around somebody who's in a dark place or a difficult place, it's like they're challenging our world view. We want to fix them so that they, you know, because otherwise we may feel it's inappropriate, inappropriate for us to feel light and at ease in the world because everybody else is so heavy. Everybody else is so dark. But doesn't it seem like a relevant question? Is the universe a friendly place? And from the teachings of the Buddha, he has an answer. It's his answer coming out of his experience. But we can use his answer and his articulation to challenge our arrogance to at least have an open mind. We don't want to believe what the Buddha says or anybody says just because they say it. But we do want to open our minds, loosen our conviction that. Life is miserable or life is difficult or um, it's a scary place. And we can't depend just upon like most, you know, some people would say, oh, no, it's a nice place. But the real answer to the question is the universe a friendly place or a safe place isn't what we think the answer is. It's how we actually live. I mean, if we're living our whole life in a defensive way, well, that's our answer to the question, not whether we think it's a friendly place or not, But are we rationalizing defensiveness and tightness and fear and neediness? Because if it were really a safe place, you know, what, what would arise is a sense of trust and relaxation and inclusivity. And uh, receptivity and tolerance for what's difficult because we know it's just a visiting difficulty. Like the Buddha said long ago, the mind is radiant and pure, but this natural or inherent radiance, purity, or beauty, you could say, goodness is obscured by visiting defilements. So we have conditioned habits that, you know, and they visit a lot, those visiting defilements. And so the world doesn't look essentially good or essentially radiant and pure. It looks confusing and challenging and like um, full of Dark holes we could fall into, or you know, evil places we could be contaminated by. So, you know, one thing we can do this week, right now, as you're listening to me talk, but more through the week, is just notice what resistance there might be to the experience of seeing something beautiful and good. And don't try to see it in some cosmological or metaphysical sense, but just let it leak in through ordinary moments. Basically, we're, we're uh, allowing the heart to be moved, to be touched by what's simple, what's beautiful what's whole. You know how our mind normally, very quickly, normally sees things in terms of this and that. It's like, uh, like we look around the room, and our mind, just out of habit, is immediately <clears throat> dividing the room up into this person and that person, people I like, the people I know, the people I don't like, the people I'm attracted to, the people I'm not attracted to. It just does this this um, obsession you could say with this and that or obsession with good and bad or even more generally just the obsession fixation on diversity but that's not the only way to experience a given moment right we could be here like we are right now but instead there's another way to relate to this moment like that part of the mind that divides things up into this and that, and good and bad, what I like, what I don't like, what's scary, what looks interesting or attractive, that part of the mind doesn't need to be dominant. We could instead be uh, experiencing this moment, or any moment, from a... uh, It's almost like with a different set of eyes. And then it becomes really simple. Like, when I'm in the the this and that mode, good and bo- bad mode, my mind's got to be busy, because there's always new information that you know changes, like, okay, you used to be at the top of my list, now you're number three, you know, <laughs> or you used to be at the bottom, but, you know, I saw something, so now you're not quite there anymore. Or, And it's not just exactly what's in front of us, it's all of our imagination gets thrown into the mix, too. Like... Would there be a better meditation center to be at tonight than common ground? <laughs> or maybe a better spiritual practice than Buddhism? Or in on and on like this. And so that comparing, contrasting, analytical, critical mind is always hungry, always reformatting, reformulating our experience. And it thrives on the survival instinct. You know, that hunger to analyze, to criticize, to judge, to compare. It's really coming out of this animal instinct to survive. And the more we think about what's safe and what's not safe, and all the different permutations of that kind of thinking, it's all based on fear and greed. It's all very alienating, isolating, when when we take that to be who we are, take that to be self. And this is what, when we cultivate, when we encourage the mind to notice what's beautiful, what's whole, what's good, it's outside, it's a different way of being or a different way of seeing, experiencing the moment. And it doesn't contradict the analytical or critical mind. It doesn't shut it down so it, you know, there we are, helpless in the world. Should we eat poison or should we eat spaghetti? You know, it's not like we don't know how to take care of ourselves. It's it's allowing the other half of the capacity of the heart to come online. That's all. It's like we're living. Half of a life. And then because we're missing half of our life, this one half becomes really neurotic because it doesn't have the complete picture. And, you know, we have this capacity to think and to imagine, and we go crazy with it, you know, because we can, it's just the survival instinct on steroids because of the imagination. I mean, at least more simple. Creatures, they have a survival instinct, but they don't have the sophisticated mind and language to imagine dangers that aren't right there. Or imagine, you know, beautiful feasts that aren't there. They're just dealing with what's there. But there's, you know, there's another possibility for this mind that can put into perspective. The analytical and critical mind and it's a recognition it's an intuitive awakening to something essentially good or the unconditioned it's it's not something we can explain to ourselves or I can explain to you but it's something that each of us can experience we can actually experience feeling safe or okay and in fact, if I were to share with you, you know, if someone asked me when someone asks me, you know, what this is this tradition of Buddhist practice is named insight meditation or vipassana meditation. So what are the insights that people have when you do this practice? And the way I would characterize the insights I've had as my practice has developed over the decades is a deepening direct recognition that it's okay, that everything's okay, a kind of resonant confidence that it's okay, and this feeling of wholeness or okayness or beauty or goodness, it doesn't depend on you know, the world going crazy like it sometimes seems that it is, or it doesn't depend on whether You know, I hurt my back or I didn't hurt my back or I have a cold or I don't have a cold or my good friend has cancer or doesn't have cancer. It's That goodness is unconditioned. That feeling of safety or okayness isn't about how it is right now, whether it's a cold day in early December or, you know, a beautiful summer day or whatever. And we all bump up against these insights. We have all already bumped up against these insights. But one of the differences between somebody who is consciously cultivating this path of awakening and an ordinary human being that's not consciously cultivating the path of awakening is when an ordinary, non-practicing human being bumps into the experience of wholeness or goodness or beauty, The mind, out of habit, rationalizes it. It creates an explanation of why I'm feeling this goodness. And it defines it in terms of the condition. Like, I feel good because this person loves me. Or I feel good because I'm home safe in my bed. But if we really look at that experience... The, the deep feeling of safety or goodness or wholeness or love or whatever particular quality seems obvious to you, it is unconditioned. It isn't about that particular experience. Although that experience might sort of, in a sense, reawaken one's awareness of or recognition of that feeling of being safe or being okay or being whole. In Jack Kornfield's book, uh, he quotes Thomas Merton. Some of you know Thomas Merton was a Catholic monk back in the, maybe he ordained maybe in the late 50s into the late 60s when he died uh, suddenly, um, sort of a strange way, by electrocution actually. I think he came out of a shower and he was in Thailand or Bangkok and the fan there had a short or fell in the water. Anyway, he died before his time. But anyway, he got interested, um, as a Catholic uh, monastic, he got interested in Eastern philosophy and Eastern meditation practice, Buddhism, and other traditions. He has this wonderful line. He has several wonderful books about his own reflections and investigations of his mind and of different religious practices. But he once said, the saints are what they are not because their sanctity makes them admirable to others, but because the gift of sainthood makes it possible for them to admire everybody else. And this this makes this insight so functional in the world. Like when when we can more regularly notice that essential, unconditioned goodness, Wholeness, beauty, whatever you want to call it, Buddha nature, what's the divine? You know, so we have countless words. You know, different people have different words to um, point to that experience. But when we cultivate that capacity and leave it alone, like don't rationalize it, don't try to explain, but just experience it we become a great gift. We've become such a functional human being. Probably, if we took the time, you know, whatever it is, 70, 80 people in the room tonight, I bet everybody here could think of a couple moments in their life where they felt like the person they were around loved them unconditionally, saw something beautiful in them. Now, we can take it personally, well I must have done something good or I must be looking hot or but but it you know when we really look at that it isn't that. I mean we do usually take it personally. But there's something deeply healing about being completely accepted, completely included, where the person doesn't need us to be different or other than how we are. In that moment, and that's the experience like, when somebody, when we're a gateway for somebody else. You know, we're around just being ourselves. We think, but <clears throat> somebody sees something there. They, they're not confused by the imperfections of our habit energy or our conditioning. Doesn't mean they're oblivious to our conditioning, our habits, or what we're saying or what we're doing, but they're not confused by it. And I think this is about as good of a definition for the awakening process, you know, the development of freedom, as any. It's a human being that becomes less and less confused by imperfections, their own imperfections and other people's imperfections. Doesn't mean the path of awakening or this path of freedom, it isn't about becoming perfect. It's about not being confused by imperfection, by the messiness of this conditioned reality, this mind-body reality that we all live with. It's finding freedom here when it's like this, (laughs) not later when it's this perfect utopia. And we all have perfect bodies and perfectly pure minds know just say the right things at the right time and we you know there's so much uh, spiritual idealism that creeps in anywhere everywhere but that you know if we really take that path of some some idealistic path it just gets really heavy you know we just basically we're using our spiritual practice to beat ourselves up because the more we become sensitive, the more we realize how much this mind and body is made up of causes and conditions which nobody's in control of. And a lot of them aren't very pretty. And that's how it is. And no matter what I do, there, there are going to be these tendencies in me to be stingy or to be defensive or to be controlling or to be irritable. You know, or to be needy I mean I've been working at it for a long time pretty seriously and and even even worse you know even though I might I might actually develop different mental habits you know different strands of conditioning and they might even get stronger or deeper but as I'm doing that I'm also getting more sensitive so I notice the greed and the aversion and the stinginess and the defensiveness and the controlling. So if we think the path is about getting to the bottom of all of the you know messiness in our own minds and those minds around us in the world it's really a it's a heavy trip and we usually start to lash out. You know that's generally what happens to people who are on a spiritual trip that's really idealistic. And either we lash out at ourselves, we lash out at our teachers, we lash out at other groups that practice differently than we do. But somewhere, hatred and and violence, uh, aggression creeps in because we get so frustrated being on the wrong path. So this is a path of freedom, a freedom that's unconditioned. That's the path the Buddha taught that there is a freedom that's unconditioned. There's a great line from one of the Buddhist talks. Just as the great oceans have but one taste, the taste of salt, so do all the teachings of the Buddha have but one taste, the taste of liberation, You know, the unshakable release of the heart. That's that experience that it's OK. Because when that is our deep, deep, direct experience, the heart releases when it feels like it's okay that it's like this now you know that the weather's like this that the mind's like this that this body's like this that you're like the way that you are the heart releases the doer the neurotic doer relaxes and when the neurotic doer relaxes what's left the only thing that's left is inclusivity or intimacy Intimacy with all things because there's nothing Breaking up the intimacy. There's no neurotic doing that would break it up So that's what's left when the heart releases It can seem you know, especially in our messy world it can seem um, a real challenge. I know it does for me a real challenge to recognize what's beautiful, recognize what's good, and to recognize it as unconditioned. So when we have a moment of appreciating the chickadee at the bird feeder, it's like we practice looking through, not not thinking it's about the chickadee, but we're, we're basically using the chickadee to look directly at it's okay. You know, to, to look directly at what's beautiful, to not even what's beautiful, but to look directly at beauty, or goodness, or release, or freedom, or whenever that arises for you. Just walking down the street, feeling some carefree energy, and not to not to get sort of fixated that. Well, it's the end of the week, and I don't have to go to back to work for a few days, but to To really look at the carefree, the ease, and the mind and body. And to let it bloom. Let the goodness or the the beautiful feeling, the feeling of release, to really let it in, to let it be a meditation object for a few moments. And the Buddha strongly encourages us. He has this wonderful... Uh, teaching he says abandon what is unskillful practitioners it is possible to abandon what is unskillful if it were not possible to abandon what is unskillful I would not say to you abandon what is unskillful but because it is possible to abandon what is unskillful I say to you abandon what is unskillful if this abandoning of what is unskillful were conducive to harm and pain I would not say to you, abandon what is unskillful. But because this abandoning of what is unskillful is conducive to benefit and pleasure, I say to you, abandon what is unskillful. And then the second half of the teaching, he just repeats it, but with a slight change. Cultivate what is skillful, practitioners. It is possible to cultivate what is skillful. If it were not possible to cultivate what is skillful, I wouldn't ask you to do it. And on and on the same way. So, to me, it's a a powerful encouragement that it is possible to let go of our tendency to be negative and fearful and heavy and needy. And it is possible to live life with gratitude and joy and forgiveness and compassion and love and more joy and... Just this resonant feeling. It, uh, one way I think about it, just conceptualize it. You know, normally when we're in that self-centered mode, that survival instinct. So you could, like Ajahn Sumedho, this great Western monk. You know, he talks about ordinary human beings as basically living as living out their animal nature. What I called earlier that survival instinct. And it's as if we have an inner gravitational pull. Everything is about me. You know what will make me say and even when I'm doing something for you it's almost like a business relationship like well I need to be nice to you so that other people will be nice to me and even if that person's not going to be nice to us we have some sort of idea that if I do good what goes around comes around now that normally gets thought of as a deep spiritual principle but it's still a very self-centered point of view you know that I do good and then I get something back it's kind of a business level of spirituality. You know, if we behave, Santa Claus will be nice to us. If we don't behave, we're going to get rid of that cold in your stocking for Christmas. So uh, we, can, um, we can replace that attitude, you know, that sort of hungry attitude, with a more expansive, uh, empty view. It's basically just abandoning that view, that sort of limited view, and the the sort of flavor is actually quite simple. You know, it's not like we actually have to be loving and forgiving and grateful. It's that's what we notice in the simplicity. It's like gratitude is just the natural state of the mind. It's like the heart or mind is very nimble and It, it, in a way, nimbly, effortlessly is grateful when it's appropriate to be grateful and forgiving when that's appropriate and joyful when joy is appropriate and loving, friendly, and compassionate when that's appropriate. Because, in a way, we're taking the self out of the picture. The heart releases into, it's okay. The world's a friendly place. It's OK for the heart to release. And then all the sort of skillful friends. I think actually the Buddha said this once, or it could be in the commentaries that were written shortly after the time of the Buddha. But the idea is that when we have that simple presence, like good friends gather around somebody they like, all the wholesome qualities of mind gather around that simple mindful presence. So when we cultivate that capacity to be mindful, all the other wholesome qualities of mind are already going to start showing up. We don't have to try to be kind or try to be forgiving or try to be joyful. We'll just start noticing joy and forgiveness and love and clarity and all the other wholesome qualities. It'd be nice to hear from people, too. For it, you've experienced in your own life, just moments of that experience, that simple experience of it's okay or of an unconditioned love, a love that's not like we love the chickadee not because of how skillful it is with the sunflower seeds or how good it is at flying or how beautiful it is. The love we have for the chickadee is unconditioned, isn't it? Or the love we have for a beautiful snowfall, it's unconditioned. It isn't about the particulars, the heart is just moved. So it would be nice to hear from people if you have some thoughts. And Nick. But it takes the
0: snowfall to trigger that, right? So time, in the time.
1: Yeah. We need to do- Initially, we're dependent on the doorways because our mind is conditioned to like certain things. And so when we feel content, when it's a beautiful snowfall and we like We've been conditioned to like snowfalls. Like some people don't like snowfalls, and other people do. And if we're one of the people that do, then when we see it fall, we forget our troubles momentarily. And the heart relaxes. The hungry animal conditioning of the mind relaxes. In a sense, it disappears. It goes offline. And then the natural purity and radiance of the heart, mind, it sort of shines through. And we remember something. It's okay. It's beautiful. I can love again. You know, it's like it's safe to love. I don't need to be afraid of loving.
0: But what we try to do is to get more snowfall. <laughs> because we
1: confuse. We're confused by the the experience. We think that that beautiful feeling, that beautiful feeling of release, was because of the snowfall. That's why there's a talk tonight. That's why Jack Hornfield started his book about the wise heart with this point. Because exactly what you're saying, Nick, we get confused. And we think that our beautiful spiritual experiences, our important experiences in life, were because of the particular conditions. Because this person really loved me. But it wasn't that this person really loved me that made the experience so beautiful. It was the experience itself that was beautiful. It was the, like something shown through there that's always true. But that person loving us or that person hugging us or whatever, that person saying something nice about us, that allowed us to drop our defensiveness for a few seconds. Yeah, that's the the direction of the practice. At first, it just arises in certain moments. And then it starts to shine through all the time, even when we're in a funk. Even when we have no good reason to feel good, we feel good. Maybe a little louder, though, Nick, so people can hear you. The
0: last day, a day and a half, I've had some serious drama all, let down, and with joy, and on the way over that I, did, I just, this phenomenon, feeling I had was that there wasn't a lot of difference between It was just a general feeling that they were both like imposters. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so. That's hard to explain what is. This is how I would interpret what you just said, though, both imposture. Imposters, uh, Nick said. The joy and the the difficulty. So the more we practice, the mind, the the mind's relationship to the conditioned world. That means the ups and downs of life, right? The mind's relationship to the ups and downs of life, the inevitable ups and downs in life, begins to dramatically shift. Initially, an ordinary human being, when we're an ordinary human being, our mind is completely tied into, fixated on the ups and downs. When it's up time, we're great. When it's a down time, we're bad. The difference between that and someone who's been practicing more and more is there's a okayness, a peace, a love, whatever you want to call it, that begins to shine through, that becomes more of what or how we are. So when there's an up time or a down time, there's still ups and downs. Enlightened beings still have ups and downs. They're still on the same roller coaster everybody else is. They still have loss. They still have good health and bad health. They get the food they like and the food they don't like. You know, They have intestinal gas. Their body feels great. But the difference is something is shining through those ups and downs. So the relationship to the ups and downs gets transformed to one where it's up, it's down, but it's not who I am. I, my mind, heart, body isn't uh, isn't defined by the ups and downs. There's something resonant and true that's different than the ups and downs. But you can't talk about that because if you talk about it, it becomes one of you know it becomes part of the ups and downs. But we can experience it. People experience it, and that sounds like what's starting to shine through, and it starts to creep in. And we it can surprise us but like I don't have a reason to be feeling this good. you know but that's how it is. It's like the, the resonant feeling of peace or wholeness isn't about what's going on. It's unconditioned. So it doesn't so beautiful experiences don't matter to us so much anymore. and we're not so afraid of the death and the cancers and the loss and the not getting the food we want. yeah. Yeah, it's a contentment. I mean, that's one of the flavors of insight. This okayness is the heart is content, no matter the conditions. More and more. I mean, it's, it's for most people, it's a very gradual development. Thanks, Nick. Other thoughts people have, experiences you'd like to share with the group, or questions? Yeah. Say your name.
0: Stephanie. Uh, as you're talking, it reminds me of something. The more important our feelings begin, to, I'm gonna this. the more important our feelings are to us. The less important our thoughts are. So we'll start to look for that good feeling rather than having to have that moment to give it to me. I'll just start naturally wanting and seeking it. I'll find it wherever I am, whether I'm in this room or not. I can still feel the same. Yeah. And we start to search for it. Yeah. Which it feels better. So
1: yeah, so to translate what you said in, in sort of how the Buddha would probably say that is, um, our concepts and ideas and thoughts about things are one thing and endlessly disappointing. Even our good thoughts are endless, endlessly disappointing if we take them to be some refuge. And would you you use the word feeling. The Buddha might use the word like Dhamma, the way it is. Like when we turn to that direct, Experience and trust that more and more than our thoughts about things, then it it's conducive to this essential truth shining shining through more and more. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Tom. <clears throat> um, it
2: it feels good to uh, recognize for me to, to recognize the you know to the advantage and cultivate. To abandon it unskillful and to cultivate skillful, it you know it feels good, but um, I realize that it's not like I think what you've been saying is that you know you don't reach a state where it's like okay good I'm all done with all this stuff you know it's, it's great now I don't do unskillful things anymore. It comes in these little these little moments and um, it it feels good to like to to recognize them. I don't know, maybe to recognize that it's not just the snow. It's not the snow that's making you feel good. It's, it's just that there's that whatever it is you've been talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, well, nature, the, mm-hmm.
1: the, the, the thing. <laughs> 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 Sounds like a horror film, the thing. <laughs> but what I'm thinking of this morning, I mean,
2: there's no better you know, place of practice than having some small children. Trying to get them up and ready for bed, or ready to go to school, and I mean, I have a library. Like, I can literally just do this to for like 10, 15 minutes, just to get it going. And come on, hurry up! And then there's this, there's this feeling that you want to, I call it, you, know, like you want to go old school and say, you know, don't like, I'll give you something to, you know, just the whole, yeah, yeah, all this stuff that stuff that never worked. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, it's the um, Illustration of all the tension that you have, of, you know, you go home for Thanksgiving and you feel that little, and it's like that's the stuff, that's yeah. the residue right there from that, things like that, yeah. unskillful things. And um, this morning, you know, that's that's going on. I got to get him down. I got to get him to go a whole block <laughs> to get to the bus.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: this whole park going on. And, you know, me and my wife are pretty good, so kind of like tag team, kind of like, all right, I'm starting to. Go there, so I'll just sort of fade out. But I just <laughs> remember something that you said was, you know, um, you know, can you, can you, can I be that? I can't stand it anymore. You think you can't stand it anymore. You just and something you said is, you know, well, you can. You you can stand it. I mean, or what else? I was like, wait in there, even though I've not just spent a rough week. Work has been, you know, just all that stuff. You, you get you get in spaces that are, that are harder to take it. And I can feel myself going there, and then I just remember myself saying, well, can I be that guy that can really be like, ready to kind of blow? Like, no, you're not going to blow. I mean, you know, what does that mean? You know, it's just this, am I going to really attach myself to this whole story? Yeah. Really go for it, really get that you know, fun out of really, you know, being in your own to start your own little show there in the morning, kids and the whole thing. <laughs> and I, I just thought, uh, you know, that, uh, can I be that guy that can be kind of torn and miserable and frustrated, and, but still not have to, you know, open up the can of, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what's what here, and we yeah, yeah, yeah. get you to the bus, and <laughs> you know, ten minutes later go, oh, did I really? No, you didn't. And I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: so. and I think that's a good example of what we've been talking about, how the practice gradually unfolds, because it is that just, just to have the wherewithal to understand that the voice, this is not okay, this is not workable, and just to understand that that's just a thought, like you did, you know, just that. Well, maybe, how do I know? Maybe it is workable. Just to be able to question the momentum of the anger or frustration you know means that we're not so tied into the conditions what is it that can know conditions the unconditioned right it's like that's the that's the only way we can know the ups and downs the unconditioned can know the ups and downs the condition can't cuz when we're up we don't realize i'm out of control we're just out of control do you know what i mean To whatever degree we know we're out of control when we're out of control, that's wisdom. And we need to appreciate that space because sometimes we don't have that space. And then it's really bad. Then the impulse, you know, you said to open the can and, you know, if you don't, then we just do it. Because that's the impulse and we're like a robot. We just act out whatever the main predominant impulse in the mind is. We just do it. There's no space that recognizes, oh, there's my dad, <laughs> you know, arising in my mind. <laughs> and we can see it, oh. So thanks, Tom, for sharing that. Yeah, other t- yeah, Dan.
0: Um, what really hit me tonight was the, uh, the idea of the okayness. You know, it seems like almost every emotion that a person has is so emotionally charged, whether it is happiness or bliss or anger or di- disappointment that, that along that level line because either really high or really low and that it is okay to just be okay that by staying to the present moment by um, taking in what, what uh, is happening right now and enjoying those things or, or not enjoying those things but have the end result it's OK to be that way. Um, I think that, that's what touched me on my face is, yeah. is the idea that it is OK. If, if, if. Forbid I get in a car accident, hopefully it'll be OK. Something happens, something blows, and it'll be OK. However it turns out, it's what happened. So, yeah. Just going back to the not having to be so charged. Blissful or detrimental, then
1: it's okay. Yeah. And it's easy to misunderstand what Dan was saying because that experience that it's okay does not in any way stop some strong response to the moment, like to step out of the way of the car, right. you know? Because that's okay too. Right. Yeah. So so it, that, that experience of, uh, of wholeness or release. Doesn't get in the way of the mind and body very powerfully responding to the moment, moment by moment. And not to be such a passive person that yeah. everything's okay. But, uh, you
0: know, watching the chickadees at
1: this moment isn't okay for them to do right now. And because of that, there's happiness in all of that. Yeah. Maybe time for one more comment.
0: Yeah, in the back. Uh, Say so your name? Sarah. Came I'm sorry, but um, I, I wonder if anyone's struggling with kind of what you were just addressing with Stan's comment about misunderstanding it feels like it could become gray. Gray? Gray. Mm-hmm. Um that everything levels out and then so I mean I want emotion, I want to have strong feelings. I don't want it. I want to replace, you know, so they don't throw me off the track, but I, I worry, like, what if the whole world thought this way, everybody thought this way, what would the world be like, and it feels right, like, it's almost like Buddhism is a reaction to the other people who aren't thinking this way, don't you what i Yeah, I do.
1: Yeah, but we're not trying not to not react. We're trying to understand how things are. And we're not trying to be passive. And we're not trying to make things okay. We're trying to realize how it is, right? And that insight is what it is. you know. And so somebody like Mark puts the word on it, okay. But you want to understand how it is. Don't make it okay. Don't try to make your life okay. So when you're up, oh, it's just okay. Or when it's down, it's okay. When it's up, try to really understand how it is. And not assume that the mind has to be confused by the particular conditions that make it up or make it down. But to uh, have a sort of a breadth and a depth. of awareness or understanding when it is up or when it is down to really be there in with intimacy and clarity and and interest and see how it is actually for you words don't work well and so remember it's an insight that arises and it doesn't make your life gray it actually frees up one's life one's personality But the reason we think it's gray is, right now, our mind is totally tied in to conditions. So this is a very radical notion. It's saying you can find sustenance from something outside of the conditions of your mind and your lived experience. Well, that's a pretty radical notion. So you have a choice. You can continue, you know, human beings, we can continue to live our life as if the only thing we have are the conditions of the present moment. And then we will naturally, if this is all that life is, we're going to naturally hold tight to whatever it's relatively pleasant, and we're going to naturally be afraid of anything that could take whatever is relatively pleasant away from us. We are signing up for a lifetime of struggle when we're tied to conditions. Because conditions obviously come and go. Nobody's in control of them. And we all it all ends with death. And so you can do that, or you can do that, which is what we're going to do as practitioners, and with our spare time, get interested if there's anything beyond the conditioned experience. And how do we get interested in that? We practice relating to the conditioned experience with equanimity. Because when we're struggling with the conditioned experience, we're not going to see anything but what we're struggling with. So we get to a relatively safe spot, like Common Ground's Meditation Hall, you know, with a group of people we feel safe with. And we just hang out in the present moment experience with equanimity. So we still have sensations. We still have sounds of people snoring or sneezing or the traffic. And we have thoughts coming and going. But we try to relate to all of that with equanimity to see if there's anything else besides conditions coming and going, pleasant conditions, unpleasant conditions coming and going. And if we do our practice with some, ser- some sincerity, some dedication, I think I can say with confidence, you will begin to realize something beyond the condition, a peace, an okayness. The words aren't very good, but there will be some experience, resonant experience, that you can't, doesn't it doesn't really work to name it that changes your relationship to the conditions whatever they are of your life you start having a different relationship to the conditions of your life birth death sickness health and thinking that it's gray is coming from the mind that thinks this is all we have and so somehow suggesting that there's something else is a deep threat to that perspective, that materialistic perspective. We have to end it here. It's a little after nine. Thanks for your comments, everyone. Let's just take a few moments, let go of the words, maybe take a breath or two together. Practice Trusting the moment as it is and being grateful for the teachings and the health we have so we do the best we can to develop understanding or insight and to be a force of wisdom and clarity love in the world cause for peace in the world. So may this be so.
2: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.